Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Celebrate our God-given freedom and faith while honoring our Blessed Mother with Girelli's USA Rosary. Each state is represented on this rosary's 50 beads. Red, white, and blue enamel adorn its patriotic crucifix. Get yours today. Shop www.ghirelli.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. fifth episode of The Future Church by John Allen. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I would like to remind listeners at this point that of what John Allen's book actually is and what it is not. Some people have written to me and said, I'm not really enjoying this. John Allen is a secret liberal, uh, and I'm not getting very much out of it and so forth. Well, I think your expectations might be a little bit skewed. We need to stop and be reminded that John Allen is not actually writing an opinion piece. He's not writing a, a piece of propaganda. He's not trying to get his own agenda across. He prides himself on being a journalist and simply reporting the facts and an objective analysis of the facts. Of course, anybody who is a journalist is going to have a certain amount of bias or come at things from a certain perspective. John tries really hard not to do that. And in my discussion of the book as well, I've been trying to respect his viewpoint on that as well. In the introduction of the book, remember, he said that what he's writing is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, he's trying to describe 10 different trends that are affecting the human race at this time and human history at this time in the 21st century. And saying, how do these different trends affect the Catholic Church? How do they affect the Christian Church and the proclamation of the Christian gospel around the world? And again, uh, although he reports these things, he's not giving a value judgment about them or saying that they're good or they're bad or that he's in favor or not in favor. He's simply reporting them and saying, this is what it's like. These are the numbers. These are, these are the statistics. This is what it looks like in the 21st century. Therefore, where might we be going? You know, predicting the future is not always an impossible thing to do. If you gather the statistics and you see which way the wind is blowing, you should be able to predict which way the ship might actually sail. Of course, there are so many variables and so many unpredictable things which come up, uh, which change the course of history and change the way that ship will sail. But at least we can gather the statistics and look at these 10 different trends and predict where things might be flowing and where things might be directing so that we can understand not only the history of the Catholic Church and where we're going in the 21st century, but also how God might be working within all of this. And I'd like to also remind you that this is very much a postscript 
to my 23-part series, Triumphs and Tragedies, which you can listen to on my blog. Uh, In Triumphs and Tragedies, I went through and produced a 23-part podcast series on the history of the Catholic Church. Why did I do this? Well, because I feel there are a lot of Catholics at the moment who are confused and bewildered, especially conservative Catholics in the United States. They view the church through a particular lens, through their particular experience as Americans, as conservatives, and as Catholics, and they're confused and bewildered by the direction of the church. But the church's direction is also influenced by these different cultural factors and historical factors. Therefore, to understand where we are now, it's important to understand where we have been. And to understand where we have been means looking at history. So, in Tribes and Tragedies, I took 23 episodes to go through the history of the Catholic Church. Basically, one episode per century with a couple of extra episodes for the centuries where an awful, where an awful lot happened uh, that was so monumental. And what we found in that series on the history of the Catholic Church, Triumphs and Tragedies, was that the church history is going through, I believe, epochs of 500-year segments. So that for the first 500 years, we were in the Roman, the the period of the Roman Empire, and then we were in a period of the Dark Ages— And then in 500 years, from 1,000 to 1,500, roughly, was the flowering of Christian culture in the Middle Ages. And now for the last 500 years, from 1,500 to 2,000, we were in an age of revolution and turmoil. We are now clearly moving out of that, moving out of the age of Reformation, the age of revolution, and God is taking us into something new. And it's something which we can't, of course, predict but on the other hand, we can sort of see the where things are going and uh, anticipate the future based on these 10 trends which John Allen lays out. So that's why I'm doing this discussion of the future church, so that we can not only see with triumphs and tragedies where we've been, but also see where we may be going. Again, I lay these 10 trends out for you along with John Allen's outline because together they make up a whole picture of what the church in the 21st century will look like. And therefore, what does it look like so far? First of all, in John Allen's first chapter, he looks at the world church and he says that we're moving into globalism across the world and therefore globalism for the church as well. The church will cease to be Eurocentric and based in the culture of Europe and North America. And as the cultures of Latin America and especially Africa and Asia, which are not rooted in European culture nearly so much as uh, North America and even Latin America are, we will see a transformation of world Christianity and a transformation of the world population and a transformation of human history away from being so Eurocentric, centered in Europe and North America, toward a wider perspective of the entire globe and the entire human population. This will impact the Catholic Church and make the complexion of the Catholic Church very different from what we already know and what we expect and what we've got used to after 2,000 years of basically a Eurocentric focus on the Catholic Church. The, the second thing which he brought out was evangelical Catholicism. The bottom line of this 
chapter was simply to say that as the Eurocentric view of the church is transformed and moved into a global context, likewise, cultural Catholicism will continue to die out. By cultural Catholicism, we mean the idea that, well, I'm Catholic because my grandfather was Polish. Uh, I'm Catholic because we're all Irish and therefore we're Catholic. That's already dead and gone, but it will continue to expire. And what will take its place is a smaller but more concentrated and more committed form of Catholicism. And this is what John Allen means by evangelical Catholicism. So putting those two together, we have a global church, but a church where there is more intentional commitment to their Catholic faith rather than a cultural commitment. We're Catholic because we're Italian. We're Catholic because we're Polish. We're Catholic because we're Irish. We're Catholic because we're Spanish. Instead, it will be a more committed, a more intentional Catholicism, but therefore a Catholicism which is smaller, does not have the same uh, large institutions propping it up, but one also which has a sharper cutting edge, one which is more focused uh, in the Catholic faith and and the Christian faith, and perhaps not so cluttered up with so many cultural accretions. The third chapter, which John discusses, is the clash with Islam. And in that chapter, he looks at the competition, if you like, between these two major world religions, the Muslim faith, Islam and Catholicism. And he basically comes out and says that due to various different factors, Catholicism, and especially Christianity as a whole, including all of our Protestant brothers and sisters, will dominate in the future, and fears that Islam is going to overcome Catholicism are largely ungrounded. Even in Europe, where it looks like with Islamic immigration, Christianity may falter and fail, he says the demographics show that, in fact, that is not the case, and that uh, Muslims, even with increased immigration, will never be more than 15 or 20 percent of the population. Well, we'll see how that goes. And that, of course, affects this next chapter, which is called the New Demographics. This is one of John Allen's shorter chapters, and therefore the discussion will be shorter as well. And it's also one of the chapters which is the least Catholic or the least uh, Christian in its emphasis. Instead, uh, he's focusing on the demographics, what he calls the new demographics, what other people have called the demographic winter. And that is facts that the human population is dropping and it's getting older and the birth rate is falling. And this trend, which is global, not just in Western Europe and in North America, but it's a global trend, will also affect, therefore, the human race, human history, and have its impact on the Catholic faith, on the Christian faith, on the religious viewpoint of the entire human race around the world. So what does John Allen have to say about this new demographic? First of all, demographers tell us that the total fertility rate needed to maintain a stable population is 2.1 children for each woman who has completed her childbearing years. That's the number of children it takes for a woman to replace herself with a female who will live to the age of childbearing, taking into account that slightly more boys than girls are born and that not all children survive. So among those who draw up the statistics, the number 2.1 is considered replacement level for a population. So, over the period 1950 to 1955, the global fertility rate averaged 5.02, well above replacement level. The rate has gone down in every subsequent five-year period, reaching a global statistic of about 2.65 or 2.60 today, meaning that it's been cut in half. That number is a global average, which masks considerable diversity. 
In other words, in Africa, the fertility rate is much higher than it is in Western Europe and in North America and in some Asian and Latin American countries. So, for example, in 2004, that's 15 years ago, 42.8% of the world's population were already living in nations where the fertility rate had dropped below the replacement level. That's astounding. I'll say that again. 42.8%, not very much less than half of the world's population 15 years ago were already living in nations whose fertility rate had dropped below replacement level. Experts call this the second demographic transition. The first came with a dramatic drop in infant mortality towards the end of the 18th century, which fueled the modern population explosion. And therefore, economists and demographers began to say that the world population is going to continue to grow. You might remember uh, the book that came out, I think, in the 1970s called The Population Bomb, in which it was predicted that the world population would continue to expand and we'd all be standing shoulder to shoulder fighting for food and so forth. Uh, And of course, that didn't come about at all. And exactly the opposite happened. In the 21st century, instead, the world will begin depopulating a phenomenon that has already hit Western Europe and Japan. The United States is a bit of an exception, but we're going to go on to look at some more details uh, in just a moment. So, in the first half of the 21st century, population will grow across most of the global south, dramatically in places like Central Africa, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. But in mid-century, something else will happen. After leveling out at around 9 billion in the year 2050, halfway through the century, the population of the planet will begin to fall and will do so with increasing momentum throughout the rest of the century. Declining fertility, coupled with the aging of the baby boom generation, mean that the elderly will be the fastest growing segment of the global population, leading to substantial increases in the median age in most countries. Therefore, we have some big challenges facing us as a human race, in the 21st century, and the Catholic Church will be facing some of those challenges as well. What are some of the causes? Well, the causes, of course, are complex and interrelated, but some of them are the transitions from the countryside to the city, as the world's population moves from agricultural production into into the cities, therefore, there's less inclination to have more children, because when you have more children and you live on the farm, you've got more workers. When you have more children and you're living in the city, The children stop becoming an asset and they start becoming a liability. With the consumer culture spreading around the world, people would, to be quite honest, rather spend money on stuff than on children. Furthermore, as children remain home longer and have higher levels of education, the cost of raising children goes higher and higher. Further, the need for this higher income means that more and more women are returning to the workplace and not staying at home and bearing and rearing children. Therefore, all of the incentives in so many ways are helping to determine this population drop. In addition, of course, are three 20th century innovations, easily available contraception, widespread abortion, the social acceptability of divorce, and pensions that provide for security without having a large family. Remember, in a more primitive culture and in a simpler culture, people would have large numbers of children because they needed somebody to look after them in their old age. If you've got a pension, if you've got investments, and you are well off financially, you don't have the same need for quite so many children. And so governments around the world are worried, of course, about the implications of this. And from a religious point of view... 
it's interesting to contemplate what impact this will have on the Catholic Church. So let's look in more detail about where this population drop is taking place. In 1957, when the European Union was founded, every one of the 27 nations that are now European Union members had fertility rates above 2.1. Today, John Allen reports, not one of them does. What accounts for the difference? Conventional theories don't seem to work. The high fertility tier includes thoroughly secularized nations such as France and less secularized ones such as Ireland. It includes nations that dole out generous benefits to families with children such as Sweden and France and ones that do not such as Great Britain. All of these things don't really seem to have the effect. Secondly is the United States. The American population is expected to grow steadily throughout the 21st century, reaching 400 million by 2050. This growth, however, is going to be due to the higher-than-average fertility rate amongst the country's fastest-growing population, the Hispanic minority. Therefore, American population growth will be fueled by immigration and by the immigrants having more children. The immigration crisis now, as we speak in 2019, is on the headlines every single day. So you can see John Allen's predictions about these particular trends actually impacting us even now as we struggle with the implications. In Asia, fertility rates in the traditional powerhouses of Japan and China have imploded. Even in China, which was so worried about population growth, their policy of only having one child per family has had a huge impact over the years. And because little girls were more likely to be aborted than little boys, that means their numbers of childbearing women are falling rapidly and their population also will be declining. In Latin America, there will be a small rise. However, their general trend and fertility rate is also falling. Africa, with a fertility rate of 5.6, is easily the highest zone of any on the planet. That means that as we go through the 21st century, the Africans are going to continue to rise. They will be young and they will be numerous, and therefore their influence will also continue to rise. The Middle East... The fertility rates there are also dropping. In the short term, they seem to be going up, but over the long term, their fertility rates are also dropping, which therefore impacts the last chapter that we talked about, which was the chapter on the growth of Islam. What does this actually mean for the entire human race and for us as well? Well, of course, in addition to fertility rates dropping, the lifespan is rising. Therefore, there are fewer and fewer children, but more and more old people. This is therefore going to impact pensions, it's going to impact health care facilities, it's going to impact every aspect of looking after the elderly. We will live longer and we will be healthier for a longer period of time, but this is going to have a huge impact on the economy and on our life together in many different ways. The last thing which is going to impact us is going to be the continued pressures of immigration. As the populations of Europe and North America continue to age, become wealthy, and consolidate their wealth amongst older people, the pressure from Africa and from Latin America for young immigrants to move north will continue to rise, causing severe social pressures. All of this together will have an impact on the Catholic faith and how we live our faith and how we evangelize and what the faith will look like. The question is, how does the falling birth rate and the rising age of the population affect our Catholic worship? How does it affect our ministry? How does it affect evangelization? How does it affect the way we interact with other Christians? 
I'll be discussing all of this in the second half, the full-length version of John Allen's The Future Church. I'd like to remind you that you can listen to the full analysis over on my blog, DwightLongenecker.com. For donor subscribers, we go into the second half of the analysis of what this is actually going to look like, how it's going to impact the church, and how it's going to impact our life together. I invite you to go over to the blog and become a donor subscriber and listen to the other half. You can also listen to all of my other podcasts, True Fairy Tales, Characters of the Reformation, Stories of the Unexpected, which are stories of the supernatural, which I've collected. Also, the entire Triumphs and Tragedies podcast that I spoke about is there. There are different levels of being a donor subscriber. If you'd like to support my work to a greater extent, there's the opportunity for you to do so as well. But being a podcast level donor subscriber is only $5.95 a month, and you can access all of those other podcasts. And support the work that I do. Remember, this all goes out to as many people as possible, free of charge, and I ask you to go and support the blog by becoming a donor subscriber if you possibly can. So just go to DwightLongenecker.com, click on the subscribe tab, and you can learn more about supporting my work. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I'd like to invite you to join me for a pilgrimage tour to France this September. It's based on my book, St. Benedict and St. Therese, The Little Rule and the Little Way. I'll be teaching about the spiritualities and the lives of these two great saints, and we'll be visiting the great monastery of Fleury, where St. Benedict's relics are venerated, and of course going to Lisieux to visit the childhood home of St. Therese, the Carmel where she was a nun, and the great basilica dedicated to her honor. But there's more than that. At Paris, we'll be visiting the Basilica of Sacré-Cœur, Rue de Bac with the Miraculous Medal, going on to Vézelay, Nevers with St. Bernadette, Paris-le-Monial, where the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus was given to St. Margaret Mary, and then Chartres Cathedral, Mont Saint-Michel, the Normandy beaches, and more. I think there's not only going to be time for instruction and learning, but also prayer and worship, celebrating Mass in the various locations, and also time for fellowship and a good bit of French food and wine, too. Come and join us this September. If you'd like to know more, go to catholicheritagetours.com. That's catholicheritagetours.com, or be in touch with me through my website, twightlongenecker.com. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at caneford.com.